It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb, Eric, and Sean. Listen in as your hosts discuss the 1975 film Deep Red. I guess we're here today to discuss Deep Red. Now, whose idea was this? I I, remember, I know it popped up in a couple different podcasts, but I didn't even know it was anybody's idea. Uh... No, it it was mine. It oh, okay. was mine because I I started watching, uh, uh, getting collecting the films of Argento, and um... I wanted to see this because if you ask somebody about Argento, they're they're always going to mention one particular film. Anybody who's sort of a horror fan, anyway, mm-hmm. and that is Suspiria. And we, we watched Suspiria for the old classic horror cast. I was kind of like, all right, I guess. I mean, it's pretty. I get that. But it's just... And then I happened to um, see Deep Red on Shudder uh, with Joe Bob Briggs. Because uh, I'm really into him and watch everything that he does. And so I watch it, quote unquote, live. Even though it isn't live. And, and tweet. And... Uh, uh, I was really impressed. I mean, it, it there there's not really any supernatural elements in this. I mean, there's a psychic who you know is correctly identifies a murderer, um, <laughs> but there's no weird ghosts and that don't make sense or you know like what there are no witches like there are in Suspiria. And in fact, while going through Argento's stuff, his stuff, his works, I don't know works. That's a little bit. What is he? Oh no, his films. Aww. Uh, you know, the first several movies he made, they were like this. They were like uh, murder mysteries, you know? And uh, then they just sort of started getting a little bit weird. And I stopped with Phenomena, which ironically is the same plot as one of the characters is describing in the beginning of this movie. And, uh, and for you, Eric, as a young... Uh... A young Jennifer Connelly. Yeah, I think it might be her first movie. Wait, which yeah, one was I think that? So too. Phenomena, not oh. to be confused with the uh, uh, what is it? The uh, uh, John Travolta oh. phenomenon, which I always <laughs> yeah. get mixed up with. Michael is, which is the one where he's the the angel. I don't know. Not familiar with Phenomenon, or the, did not know that a young Jennifer Connelly featured. Yeah, uh, this was before Labyrinth, and but what's interesting about right. all these movies. Is because they're old and Italian, they're all dubbed in English and Italian, okay? Because a lot of times the actors were speaking English, like the guy in this movie, uh, David Hemmings, I think his name is. Yep. He's English, I believe, or he's, he's from the UK. Um, but the problem is, is that they recorded in English, they dubbed it in English, 
but though no full print exists of the English soundtrack. So if you want to watch it in English on on uh, on the Blu-ray, you can watch it. It's about eighty percent English, and then out of nowhere, there's they'll start you know speaking Italian, and you yep. have to read the subtitles. Um, but to me, the first time I watched a movie like this, where it had the you get you got to dress. It's like the monkey in the room. I'm sorry, the elephant in the room. Uh, <laughs> is that <laughs> I, I don't know where's the monkey? Isn't there a saying that's the monkey in the monkey in not the, the China shop? Monkey on my back. Okay. He's in phenomena. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. I haven't finished it, uh, so I. Uh, but uh, um, this is these these weird soundtracks, you know, that sound like. Uh, it, and after a while, I just think it was kind of charming, you know. Uh, that's part of the charm of these movies. Like they're called giallo films, uh, which is yellow in Italian, I believe. Uh, so named because. Um, uh, there are crime books uh, published in Italy that had yellow covers. And then I heard somewhere else that there's another another theory about why it's called Jalo, but I that's the prevailing theory. <laughs> yeah. And uh, always had you know violent deaths. Um, there's one I remember involving boiling water in one of his movies that was particularly uh, disturbing. Um, and bright red, which I, I I don't know if this is that's why this movie is called Deep Red. Because they, it's got that. I remember um, uh, there. Are, it's not unique just to these, but like things like oh, what's the name of that movie? Uh, the French Connection has the same type of blood. Remember when there's the the shootout and the train and uh, Gene Hackman's fought, trying to catch up with the bad guy and the the guy shoots a couple people on the train. You've got that same bright red blood, and it it looks more like bright red paint than yes. blood. Yes. and it's almost as if they. They, they did it because they didn't want to appear too gory. Like, it's okay to see somebody stabbed with a cleaver 14 times, but if it looks like real blood, that's taken it way too far, you know? I've always um, wondered, because, yeah, movies of that time frame, it's fairly common, normal, but um, I always wondered, is that the reason? Or is it just, you know, people just think, or it pops on the screen, I don't know. Yeah, I always wondered if, yeah, it was about the... Because, I mean, at least in, like, the 60s and stuff, I was thinking of, like, hammer flicks. They would have very stylized, kind of operatic things. So I thought maybe the color was intentional. Because they also had a very similar type of blood. Yeah. Uh, and it could, you know, yeah, I don't know. Um, but, uh, Caleb, have you seen this movie before? Oh, yeah. Yeah, plenty of times. Yeah, I, I first saw this maybe, like, seven or eight years ago. That is so when I was getting crazy. into Argento quite a bit. I mean, I just think it's crazy anyone of, of, of Caleb's age would say that they saw it mo many multiple times and also seven years ago, again, considering the age. That's just wild to me. Yeah, and I actually noticed something for the first time during this, because I was going to say I was first introduced to Argento with uh, Demons. Have you seen that, Sean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've never seen that. Well, the, the little girl in this goes on to play... Um, Kind of like uh, I don't know what to call her. She's like a theater attendant, and she's in her twenties and that. So it was fun seeing her here. I was like, why do I know that face? It looks super familiar. But yeah, uh, yeah, this is one that I definitely go back to the most for Argento. This and Suspiria. So mm -hmm. a lot of familiarity with it. But but you're saying how Argento kind of started off doing like more normal stuff, then had kind of a weird turn at a certain point. Yeah, and I think that might be at Phenomena. 
Uh, and definitely, <laughs> he, uh, it, Demons, I've seen clips of it, and that, that movie is way over the top. Like, I feel like oh, I yeah. wouldn't like it because it's just so hilariously bad. I, I think it I think it works for it. But I was actually going to say, I think this is when he took his weird turn. Oh, really? Yeah, and, and weird in the sense that I feel like he... Because his, his early Jalos, I feel like, had more of a sense of kind of cohesion to them. Mm-hmm. This one, things start to get a little bit more kind of wonky, and it becomes a little bit more just about the style rather than just telling a super cohesive story. Okay. And I'm not saying this one's like a Suspiria where it's kind of nonsensical, but I don't feel like the mystery necessarily completely works. Uh, did you guys feel the same way, or...? Kind of, yes. I don't know if... I mean, kind of, yes, the way you just described it, if we, but if we break it down, I don't know if we'll still be in, a, in as much alignment, but... Yeah, but yes. Yeah, and there's this whole thing at the beginning of the movie where he, because uh, the, the lead's like this jazz pian- a pianist, which comes up a couple times in some somewhat funny jokes, but eh. But he kind of, at the beginning, is like, ah, things are too ordered. Things need to be a little bit less, uh, need to be a little bit more free-flowing. And I feel like that's Argento's uh, kind of um, <laughs> personal kind of mantra with film after this point. But hmm. I can see that, even though... I've never seen any of his work except for this. I can see what you're saying. Oh wow! Knowing that, I would always almost would if I didn't know that you didn't see Suspiria, I would have picked that one. Uh, hmm. And Eric, you had never seen this before. You just watched this right before we started recording. Never seen any of his movies, as far as I know. Okay. Uh, I, I did want. I have been wanting to see Suspiria for like the last three or four years. I haven't gotten to it yet. Um, but uh, nope, never heard of this. Never seen it. Was not familiar with the director by name. I was just familiar with Suspiria uh, by name, but not by the director. So yeah, hmm. pretty fresh into this. Yeah, uh, Suspiria is actually the first of what they call—is it the Three Sisters trilogy? Uh, three mothers. Three mothers. Okay, three mothers, and it gets progress- progressively. Each one is progressively shittier and shittier. Uh, <laughs> I saw the second one. Uh, what's it called? Inferno. Uh, Inferno. I keep getting a mix of opera, Tenebre. There's so many. And uh, I've heard very, very bad things about the third one. Um, very bad things. And that was made more recently. I think that may have been made in the 90s. No, 2007. 2000. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah, and I, I was going to mention, actually, because I, I mentioned to you, Sean, that I have this horror movie list for Halloween this year mm-hmm. and uh, because we were doing this I decided to throw on something that I hadn't seen in a number of years uh, Jennifer have you ever seen that one of the Masters of Horror episode directed mm-hmm. by Argento mm-hmm. oh I did not like that oh. yes that is ooh that is uncomfortable <laughs> yeah that is a really bizarre piece of work um, I, yeah I, I remember that was the one that kind of broke me with that show, mm-hmm. um, even though I have them all on physical media, um, and there's like ones that are worse. There was even one of those that was banned. That I'm like, why the hell was this banned? This this Jennifer <laughs> was worse. That uh, imprint, yeah, by a, yeah a Takashi Mike, I think, or Mike. I never noticed yes, his name. Yes, that's correct. And but Jennifer is oh, Oof. 
But I, I only mention it to say I think that might be Argento's last good film. Uh, like I, even though that's really quite disturbing, I I do think it's quite good as well. Yeah, um, I have to see it again. I I didn't like it at all when I first saw it, but I, that's I fair. you know what I think I was a little bit like, let's see. It's not great, but it's certainly for later day Argento. It's one of the better <laughs> things, but. But I guess we should talk about Deep Red, not to jump to the yeah. end of his career. <laughs> so, I think, uh, Caleb, you said that this really kind of doesn't work as a mystery. Can you go into that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, maybe I just wasn't, like, paying enough attention to the mystery plot. because Did, did you guys both watch the director's cut? Do you, do you know? Uh, is, uh, is the director's cut the longer or the shorter? Longer. I don't think that you saw the director's cut uh, if you watched the Joe Bob Briggs. I didn't watch the Joe Bob Briggs, but I did watch the shorter version. And the reason I was confused about the nomenclature is because, according to the old wiki, um, the shorter version was the director's cut, so to speak, meaning the director <laughs> way, cut yeah. cut the footage and made the shorter version. So that's why I was confused. Um, but no, I saw the shorter version, I'm quite certain. Yeah, for me, I feel like the film was super duper unwieldy in terms of the mystery. I felt like we had so much focus on kind of like the romantic dynamic with the detective, or not the detective, <laughs> uh, but the pianist and the reporter. And I felt like a lot of the murders that happened didn't really have any sort of connection to them necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, again, maybe I was just missing it. Maybe you guys can fill me in, but I've never really felt like the mystery fully worked here until like maybe the last like 20 minutes where I feel like they're finally like okay we gotta wrap this mystery up let's kind of put things together finally well but... isn't oh okay I see what you mean yeah um... I feel like it was like a Doctor Who serial this is oh my gosh this is a uh, uh, a belabored metaphor um, <laughs> in that there's the beginning of the serial and I'm thinking of a serial from like the 70s early 70s where there's the beginning and the intro uh, and then there's dabbling and dabbling and meandering. And then, oh, we got to get back to it. Uh, what was it all about again? Oh, yeah. And now let's solve the the overarching uh, issue with the baddie. Um, cause, because I was into the mystery at first. And I was like, okay, here we go. I'm going to get out my mental notepad and see if I can uh, solve this. Mm-hmm. But then, I, yeah, and... I have to say, I didn't. My critical eye got weary, so I was just kind of just watching the movie um, through parts of the runtime. So then I, I just, you know, I was like, okay, never mind. I'm just gonna just watch and see things play out. And I turned off my my gumshoe um, <laughs> part of my brain and just said, okay, I'm just gonna watch this because it, it, it's yeah, it's hard to explain. It's just not being like a traditional mystery or who done it or solving the clues. So why am I bothering? Um, I guess they're just going to tell me later. Um, yeah, you know, that's interesting. Um, it, it works more as a procedural, I think, than a traditional closed circle mystery in which a murder has been committed. We all know that there's these six or seven people. The murderer has to be one or more of them. Okay. It's, it is a murder mystery because the murderer, of course, is one of the characters that we meet. And it's a big surprise when we find out that she is the killer, but it isn't a traditional mystery. Um, what's really fun about it is he keeps saying, and I, I didn't catch this the first time I was saying, he goes, 
there's something about that painting. There's something about that missing painting that I, I, I you know, and it's not a missing painting. It's actually a mirror uh, mm-hmm. that we see for half a second, uh, and it shows the killer. And that means that if we would have been paying really close attention, we would have figured out or we would have known who the killer is. That's literally the only clue to the killer's yep. identity. <laughs> Uh, every everything else is so fucking tenuous. Like, oh, there's this picture in this abandoned house. Um, oh, wait, this little girl is drawing the same picture. Oh, uh, she <laughs> she put the picture. You know, oh, it's it's from this school that book that she saw. Oh, let's go to the school. Oh, there, it's just like okay, this is the most tenuous. You know, let's see this and then go move here. It doesn't. That's so ridiculous. No, no. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like that's kind of a staple of a lot of giallos. Maybe not the first two Argentos. I've never seen uh, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, so I can't comment on that one. But I felt like at least the bird with the crystal plumage, you know, kind of has a more focused eye on the mystery. And it uses that same technique that this one does, where you see like a flash of something and it's the clue that you need to solve the mystery, but you can't remember yeah. it. Yeah. But at least that one, yeah. they keep going back to it and they're just not giving you the full piece of it. This one they like never go back to it till the very very end, which I thought was kind of kind of strange. But <laughs> oh my gosh, I just saw it right now. It's funny how timing oh. works, because I because you guys were obviously just talking about it in the mirror, and I, I was like, huh? And then wow, there it is. Just saw it. Isn't that interesting? Um, and <laughs> I always feel like all, and this goes for all a lot of these his early movies. I always feel like. You know, you've got your main protagonist, and then everybody else, it's almost like the protagonist is in some sort of weird 1970s Alice in Wonderland. Everybody Mm. is a weirdo uh, in this. I mean, even the killer is obviously a weirdo, uh, and there might be something wrong with her. But we've got his friend, the drunk, uh, who turns out to be gay. And there's, I I just, Argento has this thing about him. The homosexuals. He always puts one oh, yeah. token homosexual in his, in his movies. And it's like, whoa! It's, it's, is this like the Hitchcock cameo, the homosexual cameo? Which, by the way, the one that played uh, what's the guy, the drunk guy's lover, boyfriend? Oh, Maximo, I think. Yeah, Maximo Ricci um, is actually played by a woman, uh, and I thought, oh really? One of the- oh. I'm going to look for that. I didn't know that. Yeah. It was play. I thought they were played by one of the boys that was in the movie Sallow because it oh, looks so familiar. But no, no, that's a girl. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That's a woman, man. Yeah, that was always an element that I I thought was interesting that we because because at least that character is played positively. I mean, Carlo's kind of a fuck up, but I was like, oh, you know, for yeah. the time, I don't know what it was like in Italy. Maybe that was more normal to portray gay characters, you know, just in regular life, but. At least for the rest of kind of film, it's it's a little bit surprising to see for this time. Have you seen Salo? I have, but not for probably around the same time I saw this the first time, seven or eight years. I've never gone back to it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because uh, yeah, there's uh, gay characters in that. Uh, they're not portrayed positively, but I think that yeah, what it's is kind of Ugh. yeah, <laughs> uh, but it's not just gay characters. It's you know a lot of different types of people that aren't portrayed positively. But it does have this sort of flippant, like, okay, we're, we'll talk about it and we'll show whatever. It's it's not pornographic, but it, it, it good, almost gets there. You mentioned, yeah. Yeah. you know, the the um, cavalcade of strange characters inhabiting this world. 
and you know i read that that's a thing in argento movies uh and then just hearing you say it again right now made me just think i'd like to see the david lynch version of this uh, produced in the 80s and i feel like i could be down with that uh, if such a thing existed because i you know I, y- you're right uh i do see i'm looking at it right now the shot where he's talking with carlo in front of the blue bar and we've got the background looks like almost like you know Nighthawks, yes. Hoppers, Nighthawks. Yeah, what is up with that place, by the way? Does it really yeah, exist, I, or did I, they create it and decorate it just to evoke that? I can't tell. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But yeah, there's some beautiful imagery with that stuff. I really like that. But why go through that effort? It. I, I don't know. It looks cool. There's no other reason. It does. But it's weird. It, yeah, that's that's Argento's whole thing. He's he. He sees an image in his head. He doesn't. It doesn't really have to make sense for him. He just needs to capture it on film. Hmm. You see a lot of that in his, his flicks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, even the beginning of the movie. I love the beginning of this. The first shot uh, where there's a murder. We see a murder taking place, and we see that there's what I thought was a little girl, but it was actually a little boy. Right. Uh, that would be Carlo. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. And I love uh, how it just interrupts the uh, opening credits i thought that was really cool <laughs> yeah and that creepy ass little kid song la 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 well, well, see i also like that little short cold open the music um the direction and then you know from there we go into the the old theater um where the little talk is happening or i don't know what you call that uh and see off those first seven minutes or so um I was really into it because I thought, oh, wow, look at this. This is, this has all these um, uh, Wes Anderson vibes going on. Um, because, <laughs> you know, the more I watch movies from the very late 60s into the early to mid-70s, oh, whether they're American movies, regardless of genre, I just see Wes, Anders, Wes Anderson's visually in movies of that uh-huh. time period, the more I watch them. And this was just... I was like, oh my gosh, this is so Wes Anderson uh, with the camera movement and the framing. And then the theater very much reminds me of uh, the opening of, uh, of uh, uh, what is it called? The one the one with the ocean. Um, uh, Life Aquatic? Life Aquatic, yes. Because that's exactly how it starts. And then there's, you know, sitting up there and, and it, it just looks like it. And then I'm thinking, oh yeah. Wes, Man- Wes Anderson, I'm, well, I'm sure he has seen this movie, and I'm like, oh, yeah, he's getting all his cues from this. And then, so then I was expecting, like, the whole movie, I was going to have this weird um, uh, Neo Anderson thing going on. Uh, and no, it, it didn't go that way. So then I was like, okay, now I don't know where I am, uh, visually and stylistically, because it, it just had all those vibes, and then it kind of drifted away from that. And then there was just only, like, tinges of that here and there but but there are a lot of like you someone could someone on youtube could cut this movie up you know it's like a three minute like uh what do you call that um like a three minute video of just chopping shots and edits and they could make the wes anderson trailer version of uh of this movie because um, even right now when they're riding in her little hoopty ride her little car that's what i'm seeing on screen right now and it looks like um the Darjeeling Limited when they're like riding around the cabs in India, like it's shot very similarly. Yeah, that did not work for me at all. Uh, that seemed really misplaced. That stupid joke. Oh, the with the, the chair. 
Yeah. Uh, just, okay. I don't know. It just seemed misplaced. And I was going to laugh at you, Eric, when you mentioned Wes Anderson, um, because I'm personally sick and tired of Wes Anderson. Um, wow, that's your problem. Sure he's a, yeah, I'm sure he's a very nice man, and aesthetically he makes good movies, but my God, I'm so cute, and I know it, and I don't want to let's lead off into a bunny trail. But actually, at the end of it, I actually understood what you, what you meant. And by the way, speaking of Wes Anderson, go to YouTube and look up Honest Trailers, every Wes Anderson movie made ever. Um, and I love those types of things, by the way. I, I may have seen that. I just love watching things like that, even if, even if they're making fun of them. I love watching those things. And they're, they made a, uh, a, a, it wasn't a skit in, in the traditional Saturday Night Live sense, but there was an SNL um, short film. You know how you have those short films? And I'm air quotes right now. A Wes Anderson horror movie where they did. Oh, <laughs> I have seen that. <laughs> You've seen that? I yes. love it. Yes. Love it. Love it. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's that's a little sidetrack to Wes Andersonville there. Yeah, but, uh, but there's actually plenty of it if you're looking for it through this movie. Um, nobody told me that Barry Gibbs was going to have a, a, a cameo um, from the Bee Gees. Uh, nobody told me what? Greta Thunberg's oh, grandmother right. was going to play a psychic. Um, there's a lot of hidden surprises what? that you guys uh, did not Is that um, true? Gre- the Greta Thunberg thing? If you close your eyes, Greta Thunberg is the one who's the, the um, psychic. If you listen to her voice, she just sounds like her. The oh, Lithuanian okay. psychic, oh, oh. she sounds like Greta Thunberg <laughs> um, with her English. And then his love interest is like if Liz Shaw and, uh, and, uh, uh, if Liz Shaw and uh, Elizabeth Sladen, um, if they had a child together, um, she's, she's, she's both companions wrapped up to one. Uh, I, well, I don't know if I can see it, but it's there. Trust <laughs> me. Take Liz Shaw. Take um, why can't I think of her name? Um, Sarah Jane. Put them together. Jane, yeah. And then that's his love interest. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, speaking of her, I think one of the most uh, not good sequences in the movie is their post-coital um, arm wrestling. That was so. Was it post-coital? I was it post-coital? Did they fuck before that. I don't think so. He's buttoning. Okay, because she when she first flirts with him in the cemetery, you know, he's talking about how he feels so jumpy and shaky and all that. It's just his nerves are on edge. Mm-hmm. And then they go to the theater with that other guy, and they who they reenact what uh, the psychic said that that morning or that afternoon. And then they cut to they're in her apartment, and he's buttoning up his shirt and tucking it in. And she says, "Do you still feel jumpy now?" And it didn't occur to me before, but, you know, that was post-coital. And plus, she asks him, will, will I see you again? You know, she's saying, you know, we're on a date type of stuff. Is that is that the, the extended version? Or is it just that's the way it's edited and you're supposed to read the, in between the lines? Uh, no, it's not in the director's cut. No no sex scene there. There, Okay, but, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, one of the nice things about having the... Uh, the English version on the director's cut is you can always tell which scenes are the new scenes because they switch to Italian. Right, right. So, <laughs> which which is kind of uh, usually you can't tell what are the new scenes unless you watch the original one over and over. But and I forgot nice that was that. called Indian wrestling back in the day. Indian wrestling, it's good stuff. But no, Sean, I was going to say I, I I wouldn't think it was a, a post-coital scene because there's so much like sexual tension be- 
running through the whole movie after that, where she, she keeps trying to hook up with him, so... I mean, maybe she just liked what she got, and she wanted to get more, and he was kind of yeah. like, I'm not interested, but... <laughs> yeah, I've been there, you know? I mean, like, <laughs> come on over every night. I, I'm not gonna get sick of you, yeah, let's let's do it. But I guess he wasn't that, he wasn't that into her. And I will say, I, I do quite like their kind of... Um, uh, she's like a liberated woman and he's like this old chauvinist i mean you don't really see that dynamic played with as much these days i, I think it's kind of fun in this well, i like it but is, is it i don't know is it like hmm is it is it like how everything's woke now and then we'll look back on it and remember oh yeah that's how everything was because nothing against women's lib or anything i'm just saying there's so much of it in media from this time um so, you know, is it also just a vestige of the times as well? Because it's in so many movies and television shows from, you know, 70 to 76 or whatever. Yeah. This time frame. Yeah. I think that's a product of his time because they, they, they hammer it in. So it's with a sledgehammer. I mean, they keep bringing it up and bringing it up and, you know. Uh, well, it's, it's meant to be it's meant to be their flirtation. I guess. So, I mean, I can see that. Like they're, I would almost frame their um, their whole uh, arm wrestling thing as almost like in a first base between them. If you want to look uh, at it that way, well, <laughs> and then when she rescues okay. him from the fire, that's when it's finally like, okay, we're ready to, you know, go all the way here. So even though I think they already had by that scene, but because <laughs> yeah. by that point on, that kind of uh, chauvinist versus liberated woman element is kind of gone, and they're just equal partners for the rest of the movie. Until she gets stabbed and is out of the picture for the rest of it, but which is like yeah. the next scene, but yeah. <laughs> but even still. Oh, but I've just mentioned since we're talking about her, Daria Nicolodi. She would go on to write a lot with Argento. Uh, I don't think they ever got married, but they had a like decades plus long relationship, and um, she was the kind of the main voice behind Suspiria. Like she was the one who uh, wrote all the dialogue and kind of came up with a story with him, so that she definitely becomes a big figure in his filmography from this point oh, on as well. Okay, wow. And she's pretty, too. I mean, I don't know about the eyeshadow, but she's pretty, too. <laughs> <laughs> not a supermodel pretty for that uh, ridiculous scene, which I wish they had not put in in this version, too. And she does What's her little that? strut with the, uh, the guitar. <laughs> oh. Uh... But, oh, but I guess we talked about the music as well. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, this another is... movie where they wanted Pink Floyd but didn't get Pink Floyd. I had no idea there was so many movies that fell into that category. I did not know that. I didn't know I did that either. Know. I just read. I just read it, but yeah, before yeah. Well, originally he had a, I think a jazz pianist, a European jazz pianist, who he wanted to score the movie, but then he didn't. He didn't really like what he delivered, um, so then, uh, and then he so he tried to get Pink Floyd, but that didn't develop. So then he turned to the was it the zombie uh, goblins or goblin goblins yeah goblin yeah oh yeah that's right this is the his first time working yeah this is like a complete kind of this is where his new career began with this movie because yeah working with Goblin they would do like everything else with him after this including Jennifer. I, I th oh really? I did not know that. Yeah, Claudio Simonetti, kind of the main figurehead Goblin, would yeah keep working with him even after the band broke up. And and those who are familiar with Dawn of the original Dawn of the Dead, of course, that was Goblin. 
uh, mm. that did that. And of course, Dario Argento, Argento uh, worked with a little bit with George Romero, I think, on that as well. Oh yeah, they they wrote the script together in Rome, and he gave him funding to complete the film as long as he got the European cut, which is kind of terrible. I hate the European cut, but. <laughs> and but then still, in 2010, uh, Romero was wanting to remake this movie. Oh, I didn't really. Oh, glad that didn't happen. I read that. I read that. It did. Well, obviously, did not happen. But it was something he was yeah. trying to put together. There was a. T- a TV movie called Deep Red that came out, and I don't know if it has anything to do with this plot. I don't know if it was just called oh, Deep Red or if it was a remake. I've I've seen it. I own it. I had, <laughs> it really stars, uh, yeah. It stars the guy from Terminator, uh, Michael Bean. A terrible little film, but yeah, nothing nothing to do with this at all. <laughs> okay. I don't even know why. I think I bought it in also one of those kind of uh, like maybe like eight movies or one of those stupid sets that I buy a fuck ton of. Is it, is it Tobin Bell from the Saw series in as, as well? Oh, that I don't remember. I definitely okay. remember that. Jeez, now that, you, now that I know it's a woman playing this role of the lover, um, yeah, now it, it, it's obvious to me now, but I completely thought it was, it was a male actor um, the first time. Okay, so the more I think about it, the more I think that other directors have stolen from this movie. I'm, mm. I'm even thinking about Woody Allen, who, when he made uh, he made Annie Hall a couple years after this came out, and that has a car scene that's very much like the car scene in this, but a little bit less hokey, where, uh, uh, what's her name, Annie Hall, who's the actor? Diane Keaton, she's driving him uh, from, like, tennis practice and she's driving a Volkswagen bug an old creaky down Volkswagen bug and this is 1977 and she's a horrible horrible driver and he's freaking out the whole time you know as Woody Allen does are we allowed to talk about Woody Allen by the way we are no we've never stopped okay good (laughs) I think we've doubled down actually in the last year or two (laughs) I feel like I talk about him more now because he's been canceled (laughs) I'm not kidding And, uh... and and oh man I'm all over the place because we're all over the place because uh, I wanted to say more yeah. about the score for a second, going back to that, because there was times when I really liked it, and I was all into it, um, and and it jazzed up the movie in a good way, and and the main theme, I think it's the main theme. I'm not. Well, there's a theme. There's a a theme that's uh, sort of like, uh, what do you? Is it the one that plays over the shots when we see the murderers, like collection of? I believe toys so. And- I believe so. Yeah, it's the most climatic you know, exciting one theme. And I like how it's a little bit reminiscent of the original Exorcist. You get some of those vibes. And of course, you know, this is 74, five, whatever, and you know, it's that time. And then some of it kind of predates in my mind, sonically, um, like the Halloween theme. And that's kind of cool. But then there was times when the, the theme went too far, or, or the music, I should say. The score went just yes. too over. And it was when he was, I don't even know whose mansion that was. When he's at the mansion, he's like yes. crawling on the outside. That's when it was, oh, you've gone too far. <laughs> you've gone way over your skis. And now you're taking me out of the movie. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> That's like, we, uh, what do we do? We've got this track that we wrote for something else like five years ago. Let's just put it here because we've got nothing for this scene. It felt completely out of place. Absolutely. But when it worked, it was great. And then, yeah, maybe tone it down in some areas. Um, that happens a lot with these movies. In fact, I think 
before he started working with Goblin, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Caleb, uh, Argento would work with this composer that no one heard of, this guy called Ennio Morricone. Uh, <laughs> Never heard of he him. He did, like, he... seriously? No, no. no you're <laughs> drunk. You're drunk. Continue, please. Yeah, come on. Okay, I know. I just uh, and we've discussed them probably. Um, Sean and I have probably discussed Morricone on four different podcasts before that we've recorded together. But anyway, go on. Yeah, he, he's credited with more um, music and movies, and I, I don't even know what his first movie was. But I think he did Bird with the Crystal Plumage. For the, he did the Animal Trilogy. Ah, shit, what's it called? Cat or Nine Tails and Four Flies on Gray Velvet. I love the names of those movies. Um, by the way. Yeah, those are great names. So many yeah. Jalos have really, really cool names. Yeah, like Three Dolls of the August Moon. Go ahead, I'm sorry. My favorite one is uh, Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key. Yes! <laughs> That's such a fucking great title. <laughs> oh. That's on Shudder, too, and I'm always so curious. <laughs> yeah, that but... sounds like, like, a, like a rapist credo. But anyway, um, I'll, <laughs> I'll take us on another, I'll take us on another tangent. I'm just gonna go with this all over the place, shotgun review style. But um, sure, <laughs> there's something else. I think there's something else. I, I got. I just made it up. But there's something else in this movie, and it's not just this movie. But I think it has something to do with European film in general in this time period, um, which is they're in this weird zone where even though it's 74, 75, whatever, when this movie was made. Something about the hairstyles and the way some things look, and maybe it's because it's Europe and Europe has something about it that makes it look a little bit less modern than the United States at the same time. Um, that even though this movie 74, 75, there's things about it aesthetically that make it seem like it's in the late 60s um, and stylistically. And, I, and I'm, I'm talking about this movie and other European movies of this time as well. I'm, I'm lumping them all together. And so it's this weird time where I still see visually aesthetic throwbacks to the late 60s, yet we're in the mid-70s. And then Sean and I have watched a lot of movies from the mid-70s lately, American movies mostly. And a lot of those ones that we've watched recently, even though they were also produced in 75, they look more modern than 75. So they, they look like they're from the late 70s, early 80s. Um, so then it's it's weird to me that this movie came out at around the same time as some of those other movies we watched, yet it harkens back to the 60s aesthetically when there's these American movies at the same time that harken to the future yeah. visually. And that's just a weird – it's a weird place for me because, uh, again, it, 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 it enhances the Anderson vibes again because we all know that's what he's known for, that he makes things aesthetically out of, the, out of place and anachronistic by design. And I feel like a lot of European movies at this time frame, just by their inherent nature, they come across as anachronistic to an American viewer's eyes, meaning myself. Okay, yeah, um, that's an, a really great point. That's an interesting point. Um, we just finished watching the five nominees for 1975. In fact, I think uh, Dog Day Afternoon dropped the other day. Uh, this movie is from 1975. Oh. And um, of course, what we're watching are Academy Award Hollywood nominees. I mean, you know. Um, I was going to say. And, and the watching, other thing that plays uh, Thea is that this aesthetic that I'm talking about that makes you, the you movie. You get to talk eventually, Caleb. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to forget my trantheon and then I'm going to kill myself <laughs> in five minutes when I forget. Uh, oh, I just want to get this out. Um, also, adding to this throwback aesthetic, it's not, some of the hairstyles, some of the costumes, some of the co- uh, production design, but also the camera is still making moves, um, you know, on dollies and things that, again, are reminiscent of movies of the late 60s because those films, those American films that Sean was talking about, they're more of the American 70s style where people are starting to do like, you know, um, handheld and steady cam and like, you know, almost like guerrilla style. So then the fact that things are still moving on dollies and then I have 60s hairstyles, but it's the 70s and there's disco-y music. It's, it's like my brain's a little bit discombobulated. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's just like it makes me feel like I'm on an uneven ground. Again, I'm not saying that's a bad thing either. It just, but it adds to the Alice in Wonderland vibe, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Because it's like, when does this exist? Like that movie, It Follows. Like, when does this exactly exist? I'm not really sure. Huh. Yeah, and that's that's fair. And that's a good thing to have with a kind of movie like this. Because it does feel like it doesn't quite exist in the real world. I mean, just having the psychic there maybe does that for me. But I don't buy it. I don't believe in psychics, so. (laughs) Well, but what's really fun, though, if you you look up and uh, I'm kind of going back to our podcast, A Thousand One Movies You Must See Before You Die. If you look at that book and you pick out all the Italian movies, uh, and the most famous ones came out after uh, the fall of fascism, okay? Mm. Um, there's like The Conformist, which is, looks very similar to this and came out at the same time. Obviously a different director, Bertolucci. Um, but a lot of the Italian stuff was very uh, neorealistic. Um, there's this movie called Lea Ventura, which is great. And all they do is these two people spend the whole time looking for a woman that went missing and they never find her in the end and that's it. And they literally just spend the whole time walking around. You can see the evolution of film through that. Uh, and what's really fun is if you look at uh, movies from Hitchcock, you can see stuff in his movies that he stole from European filmmakers at the same time, like La Ventura. And I think that's why I love La Ventura so much, because it has a Hitchcock vibe, when in fact Hitchcock stole it from um, Antonioni. Um, so you can see that that progression, definitely, in, uh, in Italian cinema. Uh, and the same goes with French cinema. Uh, but definitely with it because the, the Italians they didn't have any movie after the war they didn't have any movie theaters or I'm sorry not movie theaters they didn't have a, a, a film studio everything was bombed you know so they kind of had to work from the ground up and and uh, they just had their own style they didn't uh, you know and at the same time in Hollywood you would have movies like um, um, uh, what's that one uh, with the the guys that come home from war good movie um, a deer hunter the best years of our lives <laughs> oh <laughs> the best years of our lives which is a great movie but it's a little bit overly saccharine at times it's very 1940s hollywood it's very you know another good example <laughs> it's a, it's anything by frank capra anything by him that looks like nothing that came out of france or italy at the same time uh yeah uh that's all i gotta say about that i just that's sort of my response to eric's comment Oh, I, Caleb, I love you'll it. give a word in, word in endwise eventually. I just wanted to interject because on screen, one of the moments that stood out to me in the movie, uh, 
the damn payphone next to the espresso machine. Uh, <laughs> like, see, part of me is like, what the fuck? Why the fuck is that phone there? But I'm assuming it's just there because the director thinks it's funny. Um, and I think it's funny mm-hmm. too, actually. And I think it's really, really funny. And I, I like that in this movie. And I like that in other movies when it happens. When you just have those moments of levity that just randomly appear in a movie. And I'm all about it. I love that scene. It's ridiculous. I'm going to always remember it. I don't know why the fuck it's there. But it actually, I, it actually tickled me to no end uh, when I was watching I can't remember it. He's trying to talk to his uh, reporter friend on the phone. And for no reason at all other than to tickle me, the damn payphone in the <laughs> restaurant he's in is right next to the damn espresso machine where the guy's trying to make like 12 orders of coffee. And the guy's like all the steams everywhere. And he's like splashing and burning our protagonist while he's trying to talk on the phone. <laughs> it makes no rhyme or reason other than just to be ridiculous. And I'm assuming the director just did that for shits and giggles. And uh, I like random things like that in movies. Yeah, you know, and that works as opposed to the the scene in the in the little car, because you know they didn't pull it off like it was like like Mel Brooks would, where there's like steam just all over the place, and he's like screaming. It it was more subtle than the stupid car uh, sequence. Um, well, that's fair. Yeah, I I thought the car bit was a little too silly, but I I just found the two of them kind of charming together, so I didn't mind the the silly scene because I just like to see them kind of bouncing off each other and developing their relationship but besides asking because it's on screen if um if steven moffat took inspiration for um blink or um from the the wall scene in this movie deep red aside from asking that even though you guys have kind of gone over it at the beginning i still want to hear how you guys would define giallo or yeah giallo uh how you would describe it in your terms i mean i looked it up on the internet myself obviously but different sources describe it a little bit different i want to hear how you guys like what are the what are the the markers of the giallo genre according to you two? Oh, that's that's interesting because i mean i i can't say that i'm an expert i've seen maybe like 20 or 20 mm. plus of giallo films. well you're the expert in the room um, i i don't know about sean i don't know if he's seen more than me in that regard you've se- you've seen more than me yeah yeah, I would I would describe them as kind of lurid mystery films. They don't necessarily all make sense, but they're kind of crime thrillers, um, usually with very distinct music and eccentric characters, and usually lean more into the horror than the thriller side. But it, I think we've also talked about how thriller and horror are kind of you know one and the same, just in terms of kind of uh, varying degrees. But yeah, and I I think they all have kind of a kind of a sense of surreality to them not not necessarily surreal but just so they don't quite take place in the real world i feel like that's definitely a consistent element with shallows oh no i was going to mention um because eric you're you're saying earlier how you wanted like a david lynch version of one. Oh, or this one i think it'd be good uh, like a for this this movie are you, what, what are you, what well that's what i was saying earlier but continue what you're saying oh i was i was gonna say um post i, I think the true essence of a giallo only really existed in the 70s and 80s um and mainly just the 70s but they've kind of done some modern kind of retakes on them very scattered uh, throughout the years 
and one of the really standout ones for me is one called Barbarian Sound Studio, starring Toby Jones. Wow. Do you know anything about that, Sean? No, I never heard of it before. Oh, it, it it's super cool because um, Toby Jones is a voiceover, voiceover artist in the 70s, doing vo- voiceover for Italian films. And it's this super weird, surrealist giallo, and Toby Jones is great in everything he's in. Yeah. And I'm not going to spoil too much about it, but absolutely, if you get a chance to check it out, check it out, because cool, bizarre flick. Toby Jones is a great actor, and uh, Eric, if you don't know who Toby yes, Jones I is... Yes, I do. Yes, I do know. Yes. Okay. Doctor uh, I, always felt, I always felt really bad for him, <laughs> because he played Alfred Hitchcock in one movie, and he also played um, Truman Capote in another oh, movie. Yes. And in both times, he was totally <laughs> eclipsed by other movies about the same people that came out at the same time. Like, <laughs> horribly, terribly unlucky yeah. timing. Yeah, but, that's so uh, funny. <laughs> yeah, what, what's the name of the guy? The, on a Bavarian Sound It's stage? Bavarian. Uh, Bavarian Sound Studio. I thought he said Barbarian the first time, but no, it's Bavarian. Yeah, see, see again, Shauna wouldn't know that, that Toby Jones was in the MCU, so that's another reason I'd know him. But Shauna doesn't know what the MCU actually no, encompasses. That's, that's It's not... It's willful ignorance, as they say. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But I also want to hear Sean's definition, at least in his own mind, uh, of what um, Giallo is. Or... Um, uh, Caleb, you said something. You said it's a mixture of both mystery and horror. Um, I'm going to change that from horror to mystery and gore and slasher, mm. oh. slasher elements. Hmm. Uh, to, be, to be more, a little bit more specific, I think. Um, I think that Bava probably did more Giallo than Argento. Um, Mario mm. Bava, uh, he, he did more, but I don't think he's as celebrated as Argento, but I haven't. But both eventually ended up doing, you know, straight supernatural horror flicks. Um, but there are, there's a lot of visual elements. There's the oversaturation of color. There's that blood that I talked about before. Um, and... Of course, it's got to be Italian. You, you can't make a Giallo movie that's not Italian. Although, you know, as you just said, Caleb, somebody did make something that was inspired by that, and that's and that's fine. That might even be counted as Giallo. But it's yeah, not true Giallo. A lot of the kind of retellings of Giallos are also not Italian. Well, there was, yeah, there was a movie that Argento made called Giallo. Uh, mm. It was his second-to-last movie uh, with Adrian Brody. And I'm actually intrigued um but it only got a 4.4 on imdb um and i've never heard of it so it must not be that good no that's from 2009 by the way uh the last full feature uh argento directed was dracula 3d from 2012 and like you don't even have to no i can't bring myself to watch that i just i I cannot (laughs) (laughs) i mean like the title it's like and starring Aja Argento, which I'm just like, is she have does she have to be in every fucking Argento movie now? Does she have to be naked in every Argento movie? His fucking daughter? Like, yeah, what's up with that? That's just so. Creepy. I don't know what that is. Um, there's also a um, no kitty. There's a kitty in the movie. Um, there's also uh, <laughs> there's also um, oh, speaking of cats, uh, that uh, Masters of Horror was the third from last thing to be directed. Um, I say speaking of cats because a cat was eaten by a, in that movie. Uh, oof, that, oof. Yeah. And that little Asian girl, 
Jesus wept that yeah. scene. He could still pull it out. He could still shock. <laughs> Maybe later tonight. I don't know. I gotta get up early tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Uh, where were we? Oh yeah, definite of GL. I think I think that you know it, it has to be a, a specific time period. Specifically, I think mid seventies. I think you're getting over. Uh, if you if you go bleed into the no, that's not true because uh, uh, Bava did a lot in the eighties too. And Argento. Argento kind of came back around. Like, he took a long break from Jalos, but I think starting with maybe Tenembre. I can't remember if mm. Opera came first, but both of those are, are Jalos. Is Tenebrae the one... Is that the one that basically has the same ending as the bird with the crystal plumage? Um, I don't remember if they have a similar ending. Because there's two... Oh, man, I'm, I've seen them both... Uh, which is the one with John Saxon, where it's like, why doesn't that hat fall off your head? And he does this creepy, not creepy, but oh. quirky. Like he... That's Tenebrae, yeah. Okay, I enjoyed that one. Yeah, Tenebrae's Opera. pretty good. Maybe I haven't seen Opera yet. Maybe that comes after Phenomenon. Uh, yeah, I can't remember the order with those two, but yeah, some people call Phenomenon or Phenomena um, a giallo. I don't, I guess I can kind of see it. But uh, it's like when people call Suspiria Jalo. I don't fully no, see it there either. <laughs> it's not. Uh, Phenomena does uh, start out, I know, with um, a murder that's very Giallo. But when you're talking about Jennifer Connelly being able to communicate psychically with insects, <laughs> I just can't. I mean, <laughs> I oh. don't want to watch this movie. And, I, I, you know, I spent a good amount of money getting the, the Blu-ray, um, like $25. Oh. I'm sorry. And I just can't. I, I've tried, and I've fallen asleep every time I've tried to watch it, and I think that that may be, I don't know. It's it's genuinely not good. It's yeah. just not good. And a lot of Argento, I'll just say for you, Eric, is not good. I mean, his 70s stuff is, is, is quality all throughout the 70s, I think. But from there on, it's just a complete mixed bag because, like I said at the start of this, he just completely gives up on really telling, like, stories. He's just like, I just want to make the pieces that I see in my head. I see sequences. Let me just kind of throw this tapestry around it so I can string these sequences together. That's what his career becomes at, at a certain point. And it, it works well in films like Suspiria. does not work in Phenomena. Definitely doesn't work in Inferno. And, yeah, just varying degrees from then on, so... But, yeah, but Tenebrae is a great one. Opera, opera's pretty cool too, but not perfect. Definitely not. But wow. I just found on Wikipedia that, that if you look up Jello, the film genre, they have a massive list uh, spanning from the from the '60s to present day. So, wow, it's a really mm -hmm. big list. Yep. Yeah, a lot of films. But uh, I was just wondering. I was just wondering. Um. I was so I'm I'm still taken by the cinematography in the in the theater, uh, and the framing and the direction because I can't tell if that theater where they're at in the opening I can't tell if everything that we see of the theater itself the interior the architecture I can't tell if all of that is as it really is if you were to go visit the place if it still exists or existed or if there's a tremendous amount of amazingly 
labor. I don't know about laborious, but um, if there's uh, what do you call it? Um, I don't know the proper term, but the special effect of of uh, is it non-parallax perspective or something like that? Um, the thing the thing that uh, Peter Jackson used to a great extent in his Lord of the Rings movies, which is by characters and objects not ha- like having either greater or less distance to the camera or lens than you realize it causes you know big things to seem small and small things to seem big you know what i'm talking about everyone uh you're thinking I... uh okay in doctor who in robot they did the effect um with the toy tank and you put it right up to the front of the camera lens so it looks like it's a real life oh, like a real size tank I... but then the actors are standing back I, uh... there so whatever that's called the best example of not this is the telephone and top secret which is a movie i've never seen uh but perspective perspective uh, yes yes and, but there's a term for this specific thing where it yet uh, it's perspective well is it force perspective Perspective, but that's not it's yeah force oh uh, force i, I, I could have sworn parallax was in was a word in the term but anyway whatever it's called you know what i'm talking about and i couldn't tell if throughout the opening theater scene if there was a ton of that camera trickery going on or like i said if the theater just is as it is because when i see it I, and i've gone over it like five times just that scene because i'm i can't figure it out especially when the camera is behind the three speakers on stage and it shows the faux balconies in front of them, it looks like it's a model that is actually 12 inches tall in real life, but it's framed in such a way that it looks like a towering balcony in front of them. You have to go back and watch it. You'll see what I'm Mm. talking about. And there's some other shots that I can't tell if those are the real theater seats where the audience is, but then on the side, if we're looking at a model... Um, but it's all I can't tell, and and I don't know. It's so I it's so I can't tell if Argento's a genius, or if this theater just quirkily looks like that in real life. That it's actually built really small, like it is. And if we were to visit the location, there actually is these faux boxes that are just adorning the walls to make it seem larger than it is. So I don't know if it was actually made that way, or if it's all trickery in the camera lens. And I've gone over it over and over, and I'm still stuck. Well, I'll just say Argento, in my experience, doesn't really use miniatures. He very much is a location filmmaker, and he is a genius as a cinematographer. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's just, yeah, just capturing some really brilliant stuff in camera. Because, yeah, excellent. But go back and watch what I'm talking about, and try to pretend like you're looking for miniatures, and I think you'll see what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm watching that scene right now since you brought it up. And I, and I gotta say this. I thought about it the first time I watched watched this earlier today. But it's really just popping into my head now. This scene really reminds me of Scanners. Because like I've, I've said many times in the podcast, I did that big David Cronenberg retrospective. <laughs> yeah, have either of you guys seen Scanners? I haven't, but I want to. I've wanted to for years and years and years. I saw it a long time ago and I think I was drunk and I don't remember it that well. <laughs> Yeah, there's a scene very similar to, to her, like the psychic here, except they're trying to display what a scanner is. He's like, oh, I'm going to scan the people in this room. 
and then he latches onto one really dark mind and it pops his fucking head like a balloon. It's oh, just yeah. great. The fam- <laughs> it's a famous scene. Yeah. Famous scene. Yeah. That's very the guy, interesting. The bald guy with the glasses, right? That guy? Yep. And it's it's got, it doesn't look like this kind of same room, but for whatever reason, the aesthetic of it. I feel like there's a lot of red in that scene as well, but it could just be all the blood. I don't know. <laughs> but definitely an influence, this scene here. That's interesting. Oh, but what else we got here? I guess we could talk a little bit about the mystery element, the movie. Uh, did did you guys like who the the killer turned out to be, or Carlos' kind of way that he was wrapped up into it? Yeah, yeah, that was fine. It wasn't satisfying for me because I felt like unfairly tricked, even though they didn't actually. Okay, because obviously that's a thing in mysteries. Like, um, does it work? You know, there's the ones that um, I, I wish I could name examples. But there's movies that cheat, then that's totally not cool. Like, when you have been outright deceived or there's... You know what I mean? Like, there's there's broken logic in the movie. You know what I mean? So that's not, that's unfair. You know what I mean? For the well, audience. You would lo- you, yeah, you would love Murder by Death. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to make the same joke. <laughs> okay, so I hate... Okay, so first of all, if you just go ahead and cheat as the writer or the maker, um, okay, that's just not cool. And they don't cheat in this movie outright, so so they're not doing that. That being said, though, I didn't like because I see. I guess you could call it genius, but I think it's just cheap. Because um, you know, you think there's no way Carlo, or whatever his name is, there's no way he can be the killer. Just as the protagonist goes through, which is why I was not satisfied. You know, when they was like he was the killer, and I was like, did this movie just cheat? Because we know he can't be the killer because we he was walking to, with him and then the killer walked by. So how could he possibly be the killer unless there was multiple killers? You know, it doesn't make any sense unless Carlo and the killer were both killing. Um, and of course, I don't know why it takes the protagonist how long to figure it out. It's like, no shit. Like, that doesn't make sense. That should have been the first thing he realized. But I get, you know, you can't do that because the, the movie won't work. Um, so I didn't like that cheat. And then, and then also because when they said Carlo was it, it I was like, it can't be it can't be and I, I get it it's resolved obviously and that's fine i don't know it just felt unfair and because it made me feel like the time that i did devote um with my brain like to try to solve it it made me feel like like no that was just uh um yes like a waste of my time um even though again they didn't actually cheat but it's just done in such a way that it, so it made me feel not satisfied because I was like, well, that's unfair. Like, the, the well, is too stacked By the way, I just saw the mirror when he goes back to look at the mirror and it, it focuses on the mirror and the face is missing. And that, for some reason, just creeped the shit out of me right now. I'm just saying, that was a very disturbing image. The mirror without the face, the human face. Yeah. And I just wanted to point out, because I went back and watched that theater scene for you, Eric. <laughs> Thank you. It's strange when they cut back to the bathroom, and they're, and it's just like this white room with two doors. One says male, or like a male bathroom, one says a female bathroom. But like the room that he's in, like what fucking room is that? It's got a sink with completely obscured um, mirror. That That's the thing with some of these Argento movies. You just, like, that. that's one of the reasons I was saying to me, I don't fully feel like the mystery works and why i was asked was was gonna ask you eric what you thought of that but your know, Argento movies are more just about the vibe and kind of yeah it, it's like a scene by scene kind of enjoyment level 
Like, I enjoyed this scene, I didn't enjoy this scene. I enjoyed the overall vibe, I enjoyed the music. But I don't feel like Argento movies usually hold up all the way through them. Hmm. Yes, Does yes. Do you feel a similar way, Sean? Are you talking about the the bathroom scene? Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Like, you know, it goes up and down. Um, like, yeah, in one scene I'll be like, eh, okay, uh, all right. And some directors you watch, and they clearly have a very cohesive vision that guides the whole movie. Yes. yes. And I feel like Argento, <laughs> maybe early in his career, but at this point and from this point on, he's just... He has a picture in his head and he wants to paint it on screen. It doesn't necessarily have to to tie in. Like this bathroom, I don't think makes any sense. But I don't know if you guys are seeing that right I, now. Well, I, I chalk that down to being uh, European. Like maybe like they would have the toilets separated, but then they would have communal sinks. But it's still a creepy ass bathroom. It looks like it's in an abandoned building, but obviously it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking when you said that, I thought of the part where they talk to that man and his little girl and he smacks her like whoa dude mm. and then um we the the camera goes down trucks down and we see there's like a chameleon or a lizard with a pin through it mm-hmm. what in the fucking hell was that for who did that did they and, and did they do it for real uh, cannibal holocaust style what i mean why did she do absolutely it absolutely did yeah, that was... I, she did it because I guess she was poisoned by the house. Okay. I mean, I, I, I think that's all that we can get from it. Cause she, she repeated the art that was on the wall that was hidden <laughs> in the wall. It's convoluted how she got to repeating that piece of art. But, like, the dad kind of talks about how she's, like, this dark figure. And I think it's supposed to be because they were the stewards of the house and she became, like, negatively influenced by it. But Huh. Okay. Again, it's more for vibe than it is for logic, but... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm distracted right now because I'm seeing the killing of the killer on screen, but I don't know if it was picked up on my microphone, but I'm hearing it picked up on my microphone. It was. That I heard some... Yeah. No, but that wasn't the movie. That was real-life possible domestic violence in the distance. And so so that that what? was that <laughs> was interesting. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not being facetious. I'm not being facetious. Oh, dear. It's a little disturbing. That's possibly what the mic was actually picking up here while I was watching those images, and that was very disturbing. Um, I still hear it right now. Animal cruelty on the film, human cruelty hidden in the podcast. Yes, and but I wanted to say, Caleb, just based on this one film, because it's the only Argento I've ever seen, I 100% agree with what you were just saying earlier about like the ups and downs and the inconsistent and some parts that feel like so on point and then other parts that are not that's mm-hmm. exactly how i felt and you just reminded me of something else uh, i thought about in, during this movie there's some times where the music um the goblin one of the goblin themes that's recurring in the movie it it, it reminded me of um in uh, uh kill bill because uh, you know that that movie mm, is music yes. all over the place and there's that one theme that was oh, obnoxiously popular for 10 years after Kill Bill came out um, that so when I first saw that in the theater I, I don't know I don't know what that is <laughs> and I know that movie but yeah I know I know what he's it was a terrible rendition I'm sorry to it's say a, but. It's, it's an iconic part of the movie that was done in a thousand commercials for ten years following the movie. 
But anyway, um, yes. so when I saw it the first time in Kill Bill at the theater, I thought this is fucking amazing. Like I'm, this is like cinematic orgasm all over the screen and all over me. Uh, the first time I saw that and and heard that soundtrack. <laughs> oh, oh dear. No, seriously. Cinematic it, To me, yes. To me, it's, it's that's why I love Tarantino because he is cinematic Bukaki because he just brings all these things together and it's just like, oh my god. And and because no, I'm having I'm having um, filmic coitus like in the theater, and and that's how I felt the first time I saw that that film. And there's I'm sorry, parts... I just gotta <laughs> I just gotta quickly say. When I said that Bukaki thing, now I just can imagine Steve saying Bukaki in the Mrs. Piggy voice, if you remember that, Sean. I'm sure you don't. I do not remember that. Yes. <laughs> he did that on the Tardis Tavern. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Eric. I apologize for interrupting. It's okay. I'll, I'll do my Kermit Bukaki later. Um, uh, so. So. Um, see, you guys, you guys are actually distracting me for a second. No, okay. Dun, 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 dun. When do they? When does it happen? In the movie? So no, it's a, there's a theme that Goblin has that's, that's and it comes early in the movie and it's throughout here and there and it's just like upbeat kind of music. And my initial thought, I'm sure I'm not wrong about it, but I'm like, oh, this this has to be a little, Tarantino was influenced a bit by this. He's of course he's seen this movie a thousand times. That was probably one of the ten things in his mind when he put that sound uh, mm-hmm. into his movie Kill Bill. Um, and so that's another thing that drew me in. I was like, this is cool. Cause this is, this is totally like a, you know, th- this is the, the, the proto version of that scene from Kill Bill. And I'm like, I'm into it. And that's what I'm saying. There's like these high moments where I'm like completely into the movie. And then there's the other parts where it just, it's like, oh no, that should have been cut out. And I can't remember what movie I was reviewing with one of you recently, or maybe both of you or one of you, where I had said, like, I think this is a pretty good thing that we just watched, but I just needed it to be edited by somebody else, um, and and then oh, it it could then it could have been even better, it, it could have been even tighter, and that's how I felt about this movie, like it could have just been tighter, and I and I would have loved it more. So I'm conflicted about it as I try to rate it in my mind, uh, Deep Red. Yeah. You know, I was in love with this movie when I first saw it, but really watching it for this now for the third time, the second half is way protracted. They they could have cut a lot of this off. And and maybe it's because I watched the director's cut, mm. but the whole thing with, you know, when they meet the little girl until, like, the burning down of the... It's like, oh my god, could you guys do something? And I think this goes back. I'm basically agreeing with what you guys said. That, you know, okay, now the mystery. Um, oh, it's Martha, Carlos's mother. And, you know, that's the good part. Argento's always about the murder set pieces. I feel like that's the, the real highlights of his movies. And there's some pretty good ones in here. It's just some of the connecting tissue between yes, them. Yes, yeah. completely agree with that. It's just a little too spaced out. And I'm not trying to turn this into the Tarantino show or anything, but um, <laughs> but then when Caleb just said, um, uh, you know, there's other directors or, or um, movie makers who they have that, that um, they have their vision, you know, and it, and it carries through their entire movie. Um, and, it, and it's so tight, and you know that's what that's, that's how he made me remember that Tarantino um, uh, uh, reference I had already pre-baked. But the more I watch some classic and cult classic movies, such as this and many others, because because I'm just thinking like the way you, 
you know, all the things that define the uh, the uh, how do you, what is it called again? The genre, uh, the giallo, giallo, everything that that, um, that defines the giallo genre, like you know, that's just one of the herbs in uh, in uh, in Tarantino's cabinet. And I was just thinking how so much of like Kill Bill and so, some of his many of his other movies takes so much like because think about how many of his movies are noir like but then they have the music that 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 sometimes juxtaposes what you're seeing but then yet it matches so perfectly and then the tone of as you know in in Tarantino movies how everything could be serious and somber one moment and then an insane ridiculous thing just happens out of nowhere but then somehow yet it still feels Mm -hmm. natural and it's and see I didn't know about this genre until 10 minutes ago and, and and then see, I already thought Tarantino was a genius, and now I see that man, this probably makes up like thirty five percent of his style in total. I didn't even know it um, <laughs> until today, and so that again, I'm not trying to make it to the Tarantino show, but it just shows me how even much more he's a genius because he takes I, from uh, this, that, everything, but yet still has a cohesive vision at the same time. Yeah, I I have to I have to mull on that for a little while. I don't know if I 100% agree. Um, I have to mull on it, though. Um, and I will just say, Tarantino was a giant introduction point for a lot of just kind of exploitation in, in general. Which, I, Jalo, I don't, I don't think is considered exploitation, but some of the movies <laughs> kind of fall into that category for me. Like, he was one of the people who really introduced me to the fact that there was so many great movies that you know, really, really pushing buttons and made me kind of search them out. And yeah. I, I always feel his fingerprints when I go back to this kind of stuff. See, and what, and what I'm saying is because he has, now that I know what Giallo is and what it, how it exists, now I realize that Tarantino has this big Giallo tool in his tool bag. But see, at first, you know, he was doing his war movies, but now he's taken that same tool and applied it to Westerns he's applied giallo elements to the western genre to the to the world war ii genre and it's just like holy shit it's just like the most amazing cuisinart ever uh of because again he was doing things that i didn't know what this was and and now i see oh it's just it's the perfect blend of taking what exists and putting it all together in a whole new way that feels fresh um even though it's it's borrowed from everywhere and i don't know that's that's Mm -hmm. kind of the best I, way art evolves. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, I think there's. I think that Tarantino has seen these. Oh, he's seen everything. I mean, yeah. I'm sure he's seen <laughs> he's these seen movies. Everything. Oh hell yes. And maybe he's taken a little bit out of it, but all I can a little out of it. <laughs> I I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, and, 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 oh, come on. His first movie's called Pulp Fiction. That's a that's a that's an English yeah. way of saying giallo. And yeah, exactly. You're right. You're right. But that movie is not. That's a gangster movie. You know, that's. Uh, it is. But again, that's why I wanted to hear your definitions of Giallo because everything you all said applies to most, and especially the more like uh, Tarantino movies. The only thing that's missing is there's not always a mystery element. That that that's not in the in the Tarantino thing. But everything else you all said, it's all there. Whether you want to say something slashery is happening or whatever, um, everything uh, everything else you guys said about Giallo is all over 
the Tarantino um, movie scape all over it. There's even Jello elements in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, and Tarantino he he did something which which this movie doesn't have. Like Tarantino would look at a movie like this and see the kind of differences in tone, almost a whiplash in tone, where we have the comedic kind of in the uh, the Volkswagen Bug mm-hmm. kind of scenes, mm-hmm. but then we have the extreme violence. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, it feels just kind of a jumble. Mm-hmm. Tarantino could make it. You know, we have like that scene in Pulp Fiction where they shoot Marvin in the head. Yep, I was thinking about that. Like, we have kind of a more serious scene, and then suddenly it just explodes in a violent way, but also a comedic way. He's just got a great way of taking all those elements and making it feel consistent. For a movie like this, it just kind of feels yeah, like... Yeah, but, but in Giallo, they don't have someone killed and then immediately make it into a joke. And I have no problem with that. True, that you're, you're absolutely right. Um, I uh, So, you know, even... I'm thinking of Kill Bill. The only thing in Kill Bill... Uh, I wouldn't cite Kill Bill as the best example. I only brought it up because the musical cue was so similar. Since we're talking about the uh, the influence of the giallo, I mean, a lot of people, especially Americans, look at Halloween as kind of the, the progenitor of the slasher genre. And I've always thought that that was just flat-out incorrect. I believe that the giallo created the slasher genre. And a lot of the directors who created slasher films were directly ripping from Jalos. Uh, Sean, I look at you again. <laughs> Do you see that? <laughs> now, definitely Halloween was the one that made them all realize, oh, like, we can make these movies and they make, you know, we can make them cheap and they make money. But, I mean, apart from Friday the 13th, like, I feel like almost every other slasher does the same, like, black glove kind of POV. Even Halloween does the POV. Which was a very much kind of um, yeah, a uh, template with Giallo's. I so. think yeah, I think Giallo invented the slasher um, because they had so many movies like you know that we've already talked about before Halloween came out. Um, I don't think even Halloween created the American slasher. Um, I think it was. I really think it was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I knew he was gonna say that. I knew he was gonna say. It. <laughs> yeah, I've heard you say that many times, and I've always disagreed, but I can never say it to you. I mean, that's not the same type of movie. That's that's more of a creep, yeah. creep out movie, like a real in a slasher movie. Oh, there's also Black Christmas, uh, yes. which came out after uh, Texas Chainsaw, and um, I, I think is a better movie than Halloween. I'll just say it right now. I, I, I've oh, seen wow. Halloween. I've seen Halloween too many times. It's, you know, it really scared me when I first saw it when I was younger, but, um, no, 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 but I think you guys, this is a case of there's like more than one right answer and that more than one thing can be true at the same time. I, I, I do think that Black Christmas is a little bit more influenced by, by, uh, Giallo than Texas Chainsaw or Halloween with yes. the exception of the music in Halloween. Um, Absolutely agree. Yeah, Black Christmas is, uh, it's just not the time period, but it's, it's, it's much more color, depends on color saturation. Um, we have the blood, we, you know. I, I'm going to equate this to hip-hop music. I think... Oy vey, I have no idea what you're going to about. I think, <laughs> I think, so, because I, I remember, I just learned about Giallo five minutes ago, but here it goes. Um, <laughs> and I've only seen one example. And I've only seen one example of it, but here goes my theory. <laughs> to tie everything together with what you just said I think 
So there's this jello genre, as been discussed, and it has all these elements. And I think what happened with something like Halloween or whichever one you want to choose, someone was familiar with giallo, and they distilled out a sing- uh, elements of it, uh, distilled elements, and then that particular element they distilled and put in their movie, be it Halloween or Absolutely. or Leatherface, then that singular thing took yeah. off and started a, a wave that everyone was kind of copying and duplicating so then poof things went that way and so hip-hop um the precursor was like let's say motown um and uh what do you call it um motown and and uh what's the other term for motown music uh r&b r&b of the 70s let's shall we say motown and r&b of the 70s let's call it the giallo and then in the early 80s someone said you know what we can take these little elements out of these motown r&b hits and then we can like rap over it and then someone said holy shit that's hot and then everyone was like all i need is a microphone and some old motown records and i can fucking do this shit too and the next thing you know boom hip-hop's created and everyone's like doing the same thing and and you wouldn't go oh hip-hop's motown you're like no no it's not not at all but again someone did the same thing they they just took these elements from the existing 70s music and then someone did something with it and everyone just said, holy shit, I love that. And we can all do that ourselves. And then they all ran with it. And then that became its own thing. So I think that's what happened, I, I suspect, with the slasher thing coming off of Giallo. Yeah, and I, I don't feel as much with Texas Chainsaw. I mean, I, I honestly but, but, I don't really but, see the connection. But, but again, as a non-horror uh, aficionado, um, I think I see I see how how they both fit into the conversation. It's just Halloween then spawned its own lineage, and then um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of spawned its own lineage where they diverge. But 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 at their core, again, I'm no expert on slasher, but I I see it because there are because. Um, uh, like something like oh my god, Friday the Thirteenth does borrow from some Halloween elements and some Texas Chainsaw elements. Um, uh, you don't think so? I see much more the Jalo because of the huge mystery element. Whoa! There's no real mystery element of either Texas Chainsaw or Halloween. You know what? I think that um, Giallo inspired more Wes Craven Scream, which is a fucking weak version of giallo with 90s teenage humor um than yeah. some of the other slashes before it, more so than than halloween well i really do something like uh, my bloody valentine Night. or the prowler even even something like uh, happy birthday to me I, I really feel the giallo connection with those kind of slashers now i feel like an ass because i haven't seen any for all three of those movies oh you never seen my bloody um, valentine Another Canadian classic. <laughs> Next, I'm going to say why Alien is a, is a space giallo movie. So, No, we're not talking about that. Stop! <laughs> and, and you guys are both much more intoxicated than I am right now. Um, so you might think this is, this is like, oh, this, this conversation is a farce or whatever. But from my perspective, like hashing this all out, I'm not joking. I'm not being facetious. This has been highly educational. Uh, And I'm still going to be reflecting on this later. 
Uh, and when I watch more movies of any of the genres we've, we've touched upon, we've, we've hit like 16 different genres uh, in this conversation. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not being facetious. I'm, I'm literally going to be thinking about this stuff later um, because now, again, the, the door has been opened to me on this whole Giallo thing, which I didn't know existed until 10 minutes ago. So now I have to like reframe everything um, uh, going forward. Hey, if I guess we should get to final thoughts soon with this very, very uh, all over the place discussion. But if you're interested in more Jalos, we, uh, I'm sure me and Sean have some more suggestions to pull out because definitely a lot of interesting flicks. Not a lot of them are super great, I would say. I don't know if you disagree, Sean, but I don't think there's ever been a Jalo that I've seen that I've fully loved. Even Deep Red here, which I enjoy very, very much. But it's it's definitely got a lot of cool elements, and it's something that I keep exploring, even if I don't always love what I see. I, I actually agree with that. Um, um, Caleb, if you want to tell the readers some, some other Giallo films that they may enjoy, please do so. Go to your local library and, and, and get these. Oh, it's, it's I mean, you know. Blood and Black Lace, I think, is one of the all-time classics. Uh, Mario Bava. It's, um, I believe it's a fashion show. And there's a black-gloved uh, killer going through and killing all the models. Just an excellent piece of, of Jalo history. Beautifully shot. Um, I think it's also got kind of silly mystery elements, but just highly enjoyable. Um, what's what's another one? I mean, of course, basically any of the Argento Jalos are worth watching, I think. Uh, but with a Crystal Plumage or, uh, or Opera or um, Tenebrae. Uh, there's one that I like that I don't think I've heard anyone else likes except for me, which is the New York Ripper. Have you heard of that, Sean? <laughs> yes, I have. I have heard of that, yes. By Lucio Fulci. It, it's an extremely filthy movie, and it's very, very unpleasant. <laughs> but for whatever reason, I just enjoy it. So, Oh, and The Suspicious Death of a Minor, I would also absolutely recommend as another good giallo from the 70s. I've never heard of that one. I just love this. I, I just want to read some. I just I, there's, I told you there's this monster list on Wikipedia. I just these names are amazing. Yes. Uh, Another highlight of Jalos. Like I just want to read just some random ones, and I'm not. I mean, in the '60s, well, the girl who knew too much. Um, a is for assassin. The murder clinic. Death laid an egg. <laughs> uh, let me run to the '70s. Um, hatchet for the honeymoon. Five Dolls for an August mm. Moon, Oasis of Fear. Let me jump to the 80s. Yeah, that's another, definitely another standout is the names for Jalos. Super cool. The Scorpion with Two Tails, um, Formula for a Murder, Black Octopus, um, Too Beautiful to Die. Number. Let's go to the 90s. Um, looking for one that looks interesting uh, by title. Uh, the house where Corrine, um, that's not interesting, the house where Corrine lived, wax mask, uh, fatal frames in the 2000s, uh, bad inclination, eyes of crystal, the vanity serum, do you like Hitchcock? Oh yeah, that one, that's a, that's an Argento, do you like it's, Hitchcock? I don't know, there's, there's a lot of amazing titles. Yeah. <laughs> The Eyes really? Behind the Wall, Plot of Fear, Death Steps in the Dark. Please tell me that's about a bunch of murders that, uh, copycat murders of that have happened in Hitchcock films. 
I have never seen it. Oh, that sounds like I, that sounds like a good guess. Yeah, that's like one of his two thousands movies, and oh, oh, I just oh. don't watch those because. So we're gonna say Eric. Okay, look. Oh no, I'm reading the plot on on. Uh, do you like Hitchcock? So uh, this guy goes to a video store. He tries to rent Alfred Hitchcock Strangers on a Train. At the same time, another woman is trying to rent the same thing, and that starts their that, then <laughs> oh, that starts that starts their friendship. That's yeah, that sounds um, like latter then, day yeah. Argento. Like that's just completely absurd. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna. No, I mean, do they go on a murder spree after that? Does it say? That? Oh, and then the one guy suspects that the other one is trying to. She he thinks that she has an agreement with somebody else, as in the movie Strangers on a Train. Uh, um, let's see. Let's just say there's a lot of references to Strange on a Train throughout this movie. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll say this. Um, when you explore the giallo genre, you also enter a, another subgenre of Italian kind of gore action movies, which are the Poliziotteschi movies, which are like p- police procedurals. Like, I mean, one of the reasons I feel like this movie doesn't fully make sense is why is this jazz pianist so obsessed with this murder mystery? Yes. And yes, I have that same feeling. Yeah, a lot of giallos have that, but occasionally you'll get the ones that are very much police procedurals, which are the policioteskis, but they'll have the same kind of gore and music and an eccentric element to it. And some of those are also have the cool names, like there's one called the Bloodstained Butterfly, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, there's another <laughs> kind of stupid one called uh, What Have You Done With Our Daughters? Like, th- there's definitely a crossover between those two kind of genres of Italian films, but but there's definitely a distinct difference in terms of uh, the, the focus, but some of them feel kind of similar. All right. Can I give my closing thoughts? Yeah, is there anything else we have to say about Deep Red? I mean, we've I don't even know how much we've discussed, but I'm pretty drunk, so it's all a blur. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Me too. Um, so here's the thing. I first watched this on Shudder on Joe Bob Briggs show and um, having it break every 15 to 20 Mm -hmm. minutes and having him explain something about the film was much more entertaining than watching the whole film itself. Oh. (laughs) Uh, He he did the film justice, but there there is a moment, not a moment, but there's a, a period in this film where it completely lags and I forgot about it because I had never seen it like all the way through and after I saw it on Joe Bob Briggs, I'm like, oh, I'm going to buy that on uh, Blu-ray. That would be really cool looking. And it does look beautiful. It's, it's a great looking movie. Uh, but at the end, I, especially after hearing you guys talk, the rom- I, 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 I need to, I don't like the romance stuff. I think I can do without that completely. Uh, but at the end, I, mm, I still think it's as good as, or, or better than Cat or Nine Tales or Four Flies in Grey Velvet. And I think Suspiria is overdone, but it's still good and I could appreciate it. And somebody once told me, I don't like watching films that I should appreciate as opposed to, as opposed to films I like. Um, but I like this, but I don't appreciate it like Suspiria. So that's something. All right. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, I, th- I think that makes sense. Um, yeah, I-, I think I feel a similar way. I mean, I- I've seen this movie many times, and I'll continue to just 
pop it in my player every now and again because it's got a lot of great standout scenes and the goblin score. I mean, that, that score is just something that I play in my car when I'm driving around because I just find it really <laughs> exhilarating. And so I, I just love the scenes where it just kind of scrolls across the black void with the murderer's kind of chosen artifacts. I think that mm -hmm. stuff's just excellent. Yeah. Yeah, the, the overall plot, I mean, it's an Argento movie. You can kind of, you know, get up and clean your apartment as you're watching it or, you know... Mm -hmm. Look up things about the cast and then pay back attention when a great murder set piece happens. But the the whole movie, I mean, it's it's not great, but it's still I I think, you know, enjoyable and, and something that I'll keep going back to. And yeah, you might be right, it might be better than The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. I, I usually think of that as a better movie. But I, I think this one has higher highs. It just because it's longer, kinda drags a little bit more. Yeah. So Maybe that's the differential, but still, I, I think it's a very worthy piece of Argento's filmography and one definitely that people should check out if they want to see why Argento is remembered as a great filmmaker. Although I will say I think Suspiria, as just an overall experience, is maybe a little better, but I find the nonsensical element of Suspiria a little frustrating, whereas I don't mind it as much with this movie. Uh, I agree. I agree. Uh, the music is so great, though, and um, it's really pretty. It's even better looking than this film. Gorgeous. And it, it lives in its own fantasy world where yeah. adults have to reach up for their doorknobs and, <laughs> and adults act like they're, like, 12 years old because it was made for, <laughs> like, it was originally supposed to be shot with kids. Really? Yeah, the the script that that he and Daria Nicolodi wrote was meant to be completely like kids starting off in dance school. That's why they act so wildly immature. Like there's a whole bit where they're like, "I think that the names that end that start with the letter S are the names for snakes." Like those those scenes yeah. as adults play yeah. super bizarre, but if they were twelve year olds, it make complete sense. I, I feel like that's Actually, throughout I, the whole I, movie. I did you did you see the remake that they have on Amazon? Absolutely love the remake. Yep. Really? Yep. It's it's totally different, which is exactly what you should do with a remake. But I think it works really well. But maybe also not a movie that works all the way through because it also lags in parts. But its great moments are just really really great. So, how would you think of it, Sean? Just just briefly, <laughs> for Eric gives his final thoughts. Oh, I thought I already gave my final thoughts. Oh, I meant on the remake of Suspiria. Oh, the remake? I haven't seen it. I watched oh. the first ten minutes, and I was like, this actor's really familiar. I can't place him, I can't place him, I can't place him. Mm. Then I checked IMDb, and I'm like, holy shit! Fuck! And, you know, I texted my mom, and I said, hey. I, I was like, hey, you got to watch the first ten minutes of this movie and tell, tell me who plays the professor. She never watched it. <laughs> I gave up. If I hadn't if I hadn't been promising Isaac for years that we'd do a, a review of Suspiria, I'd say we should do a remakes versus original for those two. Yeah. Remakes versus originals is a good is a good topic. Uh, and then there were none is a good one for that because that was remade seven times. Yeah, then maybe that's too many. <laughs> maybe that's a bad one. <laughs> you don't do all seven. Maybe the last one that was made and the and the, <laughs> the uh, 1945 one. But even like um, Friday the 13th, which, eh, that's, you can't do that because 
its uh, Jason kind of evolved into that mask uh, creature in the first three movies. So I don't know. Anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> Eric, I have nothing to say except oh, no final thoughts. Aren't you going to rate it with some obscure number that me and Sean are didn't bother me? doing? I only have six more final thoughts. Okay, here we go. Um, first of all, Rotten Tomatoes gives it 96% uh, by the critics. 86 with the audience. The little blurb says, The kinetic camera and brutal over-the-top gore that made Dario Argento famous is on full display, but the addition of a compelling, complex story makes Deep Red a masterpiece. Um, I would give the movie... Uh, uh, three over-the-top killings out of five. Um, this conversation I freaking adore, as I was saying earlier, and I wasn't kidding about that. Um, I'm amazed that we talked about the whole movie, sort of, and we didn't <laughs> even discuss any of the over-the-top killings. Um, mm. Because at first, when I finished the movie, I thought that was going to be the first thing I was going to talk about, um, was the death of Carlo... Because I was like, holy shit, like, what is going on? Because at first I thought, okay, is this Final Destination? And then I thought, no, is it Homer falling down the the cab- the, the, um, like the, uh, the canyon and hitting everything and then falling off the, uh, the ambulance um, stretcher, etc.? Uh, that was insane. Um, and then as I was re-watching while we were talking, I forgot how much, like, when Barry Gibbs gets killed, holy shit, like... He's the one where she's bashing him against the corners, uh, the corners. Damn. That's that that's that's something. That's something I've never seen before, never thought of, and seems horrid uh, if it was real. No, uh, uh, American History X uh, was Oof. worse than that. But uh, yeah, that is a really horrible, horrible killing. Yes. But I just thought, uh, as far as unique uh. killings go, that was fantastic because that one grabbed me uh, in the movie. Um, uh, the way the killer killer dies okay i guess um yeah i just wanted to interrupt you on that eric we didn't talk about the ending but it ends so abruptly he's just she gets decapitated and he just looks down to her blood and that's it yeah i thought that was a pretty cool ending i mean I'm cool <laughs> i don't with know it. if there's much to say about it but yeah i like that ending yeah i i thought it, it fit perfect no i thought it fit perfect and i'm just amazed we didn't discuss any of the things any of those elements because you would think that's <laughs> what people would talk about um but i get it that's not our style uh individually or collectively as as commentators um and yeah I, for me this is like this is a great spring springboard for me because this is again um i thought i knew all the main genres and the main subgenres of movies and now there's this whole other wing of the museum i didn't know existed it's like holy shit mm. it's just like this is an, actually like an entire genre or subgenre that I did not know existed until this. So this this is, I love this. I just love thinking about it. Uh, not the movie specifically, but just all this in general. And then the last thing I'll say. So, yeah, go ahead. So would you watch more of it? Yes. Now, I don't know if I'm going to find ones that I like more or whatever, but it's it's definitely a part of my, what do you call it? Um it's something I need to bone up on. Uh, like like when I used to care more about music, as you do when you're younger, uh, 
um, you know, you, you know, you listen to the popular music and then you start exploring into your own individual tastes. Um, and and for me, like even though like let's say country is the weakest genre of music I'm I'm into, I will still though intentionally go out and listen to some and sample some and listen to classic country artists I've heard of, even though I have no interest in it, I'll just do it because I, I feel like I need to have some frame of reference rather than none. Mm. And so that's how I feel about this. It's not my thing per se, but I need to have a little bit more knowledge of it um, just to fill out, you know, cause I, I want to have a, as wide a, a broad a taste as possible when I come into the movies I do want to watch or whatever. So, so uh, this is an area I'll need to explore more into, for sure, um, and and see what is there. And and again, I never knew this this stuff existed, and I'm I'm totally down with it. Um, you know, so yeah, I, you know, just like I'm not the, I'm not like in love with spaghetti westerns. Obviously, I love the iconic ones, but I don't love the entire genre. But at least I know what spaghetti westerns are and what they're made of and what makes mm. a spaghetti western. So this is like you just this is like I had never known what spaghetti westerns were. And starting today I now know what they are. So I need to know a little bit more about it. You know what I mean? Going forward. So that's yeah. how I feel about this. And the last thing I say is not I'm gonna say is not that exciting. But also upon rewatch and just looking at the images on screen, another thing I love about this movie that I didn't pay attention too much to the first time, but I did while while we did this recording was that I love that the the production design, so many of these locations and interiors and people's dwellings, I there's so much that's put into the props and the prop placement. Um, and of mm-hmm. course, that's something I love about uh, Kubrick stuff. And I got to say Wes Anderson stuff. And there's so much deliberate decortage that it, it's... It, I love that stuff. There's there's so much... Like, I can just keep rewatching this movie on silent and just really see all the things that the director and or production designer specifically put that little toy there and specifically put that weird painting there and like look at all the different paintings that are in um uh what's his name mm. the, in the killer's apartment um look at all the weird paintings that she has and, and they all have this weird off-putting vibe to them um and just focus on that and and it's it's really really interesting and then look at the uh the, the homosexuals apartment and look at that decortage and look at what's on the walls and look at all the pictures and look at all the little things there's there's so much there's so much going on. i love stuff like that and i didn't notice it the first time and yeah. but there's there's so much of it yeah from the sounds of this conversation you need to see suspiria yeah a giant portion of that movie is set design it's like argento and darla nicolotti wanted to create a a fairy tale based on set design in some ways and it's it's every almost every sequence of that movie is stunning to look at almost every scene i should say is stunning to look at just in terms of the set design so on the synapse the Blu-ray, sound- oh, oh go ahead sean <laughs> sorry and the soundtrack is awesome honestly. that's all i was gonna say yeah i really want to watch both and actually the reason i heard of suspiria because because my way of getting into things is not the same as yours. I mean, both of you. Um, it's because when when 4K, you know, the format, the UHD format was, was just coming out, for whatever reason, the original Suspiria 
and then the remake were like the two things early on in the format that released that everyone was talking about. So that's the only reason I know about it because I follow 4K and all that kind of stuff. So then I was like, what is this Asperia? And why is it such a big release that everyone's talking about that this thing I've never heard of? So I've been wanting to see it ever since UHDs were a thing. Yeah, I mean, I had this old shitty Anchor Bay DVD for years and I watched it over and over again. When I bought the new Blu-ray, it was like I'd never seen the movie before. It was that much of a difference. Hell yeah. Completely blew my mind. I love that. Well, uh, but yeah, I guess that was our very all-over-the-place deep red discussion. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I enjoyed talking with you guys. I'm glad, Eric. It sounds like you had quite the uh, adventure there. Um, discovering this new genre, that's great to hear. Sean, uh, I don't know what you came away with, but... <laughs> Anger, frustration. No, 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 no. I'm quite fine. drunk, like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit drunk. Yeah, I'll say this. I came into the conversation with two uh, wine glasses filled to the brim. I drank both of those, and then I went and filled another glass. So I'm, I'm pretty, pretty stute, uh, a stewed, I should say. Not astute, but stewed. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, another fun conversation with you guys. Always enjoy, always enjoy chatting with you. I was going to say any last words, but I guess I usually do that with Isaac. So, <laughs> Cheers. Uh, but, but peace. Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>